0: team welcome back to the my mate podcast hey i am bringing you a show from the past because it's very exciting for me uh we very and i want to see me my good friend uh alvin who'll be listening to this who's uh who's the the main man behind the show he's the production artist um we will most likely be getting her back on the show so Without further ado, I should probably tell you who she is. She is Dr. Lacole Napara or you might know her as the holistic psychologist who has, has actually taken the world by storm because I I, and I I was trying to figure out why this is and I was speaking with her about this the first time I had her on the show. I compared the difference between a hero and a celebrity and a celebrity is someone who does things for themselves and a hero is someone who does things for others and uh and she teaches people how to heal themselves, you know. And her whole idea behind therapy is, hey, like, follow these kind of, you know, basic guidelines and things and continue to show up and do the work. And, you know, with any luck, you might not even need a therapist. And that's, I think, is so brilliant about her. Obviously, she has clients and she does her work and her, her university and all that sort of stuff. Um, but the, the fundamental premise is we have all the power To find that sense of fulfillment and truth of who we are um, based upon the work we specifically do. And the fact that she promotes that I think is so brilliant and so counterintuitive and so against the grain and that's why she's so huge. It's very important for me to bring you guys this show again because, uh, like I said before, hopefully in about a month um, she'll be coming back on the show, and um, she'll be discussing. Uh, well, we'll I'm, I'm sure we will. We'll be getting we'll be getting into discussions about her growth. I think she's at 2.5 million followers or something like that now. But uh, when when I had her on the show, she was at 20,000, 20, I think, maybe forty thousand, something like that. And that was that was just that was what was that. 18 months ago so it's unbelievable and again that goes with the fact that she's putting out a truthful message she's talking about her own experience and that's what we want more in life we want people that are real and you know her authenticity is a true testament to the work she's done so guys without further ado uh, I bring you the holistic psychologist and as always love you lots
1: All right. Well, Nicole, it's so good to have you on the show. Hello. Full disclosure, it was my, uh, my lovely partner who was sitting just opposite me who actually got me onto you. And um, we, um, we, we love the holistic stuff, but we also love the marketing stuff as well. And there's like a real authentic journey that you see shine through um, when you're uploading and when you're talking about the stuff. And I think it's so good to see that side, especially in psychology as well, because you know historically there's been that real kind of detachment from who a psychologist is apart from what they do, you know? So what was the what was the moment for you where you kind of was just like, you know what, I'm actually just gonna pump this marketing thing and because I just looked recently and there was about six months and yeah, it was a bit of a milestone.
2: Yeah, absolutely. So first of all, thank you, lovely partner back there. Yes. Hello for sharing, Hello. For sharing my work. It's very awesome. Um, So yeah, I mean, I think I want to just quickly, so part of I think the reason why, especially in psychology, to speak to your point, Mm. people maybe aren't sharing, sharing personal details. Definitely I think social media is this whole gray area for everyone kind of in the field because I think to a large extent a lot of us were trained actually not to do that mm. um, That there's a lot of psychology training at least in the traditional model Whereas I mean even as directly as no disclosure or don't be a person in the room yeah. We've heard of this idea of the blind slate model mm. um, So I think I say that because I do think a lot of clinicians uh operate like that in the rooms and now I see that translating largely into social media with even questions from especially some of the older term clinicians about how to even use that is it appropriate to be on there okay and if I've made a decision to be on there yeah what is appropriate to share and not not to share yes Um, so I've always been I, I always kind of joke I've always been kind of like in my own lane uh in terms of the clinical work I've done and I've always been a very full disclosure person so I've always been someone who is comfortable being a human in the room and have, has always operated that way clinically. Um, and then obviously I started to watch social media expand in the world and the connections that could be made on there. Mm. And it felt like that was a natural next step, especially when I was evolving my message and really wanting to, I think get, get some of this information out there on the more global scale. So, you know, social media to me was a huge, was a huge untapped resource. And like I said, being comfortable with sharing my own parts of the journey, I thought that that would add not only a cool, you know, a different perspective on kind of who a psychologist is as a person, um, but, you know, I I will often write a lot, I actually just wrote a post this morning, sharing my own struggles and healing, too, you know, having and walking alongside of, you know, the self-healer movement that I'm, you know, trying to, you know, very much a part of at this point, I, I think it's important to also share the difficult aspects of the journey, too, so that just became, again, another another why not? You know, if I can be mm. human and can show people that this isn't easy, um, let me let me show people the whole of the experience and not just be someone who's saying, do this or don't do that. Let me show what it looks like to do it right alongside the of them and to struggle in ways that I know a lot of people struggle.
1: Yes, yeah. And I mean, <clears throat> you say it in such a way, you, you can see both sides because one, um, you know, the the trying to be a almost fly on the wall concept is it it, it has its benefit because you, you can you know, as as human beings, we're so easily influenced by the other person that, you know, a, a client could say something and then, you know, you're triggered or or things are all happening as well. So you see both sides. But I think um, more to your point, especially with what you're doing now, it is so good to see someone who practices what they preach. And it's it's like, hey, look, we are all in the struggle together, to use that word. Life can also be a bloody blessing. This is my area this is why this works because I've tried this other thing and that made me feel terrible. So I'm telling you anecdotally, this is why. And then this is also the science as well. I think it's fantastic, you know? Yeah. So, yeah.
2: yeah. And I think so. It becomes navigating the difference, like you were saying, between being able to be objector, right, in the room where if I am being triggered, I can leave that out but also being the humanity and being, you know, bringing in the relatable part. So I think it's navigating that fine space.
1: Yeah, for sure. And you got to have a fun time while you're doing it as well. Social media is fun. Look what we're doing.
2: <laughs> I know. It's very cool. I mean, I, I am just still blown away by, you know, kind of the community. And I say this too, I can't take all of the credit because I think a huge part is just people's readiness. Like mm. I'm putting a message out there. And at this point, I mean, Jesus, 60,000 people are ready to hear that. And, You know, I think it's just so emblematic of the greater shift in consciousness that's Mm. happening. And, you know, it isn't me. And again, I think people are yearning for community and connection because. Sometimes I think part of the process can be very lonely and isolating. Mm. We have to shift a lot of relationships where it may be existing in the world in a much different way than some of our peers are. So I think it's beautiful to be able to have the connections that, yeah, they might not be in your your neighborhood, in your town, in your city, but they can still be really, really valuable. So I just think the community aspect of social media can be incredibly helpful.
1: Mm, Absolutely, yep. So I wanted to ask, you came through and you studied and you went through that way. um, And then now you've kind of made a bit of an adjustment to more of the holistic approach. On that new front, what's been the most um, well-received tool, I guess, you know, because you've got your breath work and even diet is such a big one as well. But I guess where do people see the biggest shift from that new holistic approach?
2: I think that, you know, I think, I mean, mindfulness, I can kind of back it up too. I think mindfulness has always been a part of my practice before yep. I would kind of have taken, I had two pivots in my own personal life and personal training or clinical training. Mm-hmm. One was discovering <clears throat> mindfulness has happened well before mindfulness I think is what it is now. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the next pivot was kind of my health and realizing that the body had to be included. Um, so I think mindfulness has always been there in my world, and it's definitely part of the, the the holistic approach that I now utilize. I think that's the most that's kind of the universally known aspect of it. Yeah. Now. Anyone who practices yoga or med- you, you, at this point, you've heard of mindfulness and meditation. Yeah. Um. So I think that's been a a really naturally kind of um, integrated part into you know of my message that most people can identify with, have heard of, or relate to, maybe even.
1: Yeah.
2: Obviously, it's in barriers that people get tricked up around with all things mindfulness and meditation but I think that was that's the first kind of eased way in because it's natural it's there like
1: it's yes sort
2: of the yeah um, breath work I think is an extension of that right so like here let me show you that you have more control let me show you mm. that you can control your body this is where we're actually making that connect between intention or the mind and choices and, and our body's physiology um, I guess I would put all things nutrition and third on the list, because I think that there's a lot of overwhelming, contradicting, opposing information out there on terms of future all things nutrition, Yeah. <laughs> that I have to through myself in terms of my own self-healing process, so I get it, Yeah. Um, and I, I think <clears throat> that is, excellent. we're not taught this anywhere in school there's not a clinician um and i don't think programs have changed to that extent as of recent i'm hoping that does happen and i hope to play a part of it for sure but we're not learning this mm. um so i think that that is a, a, a fear base a threat point and an overwhelm like i was saying earlier mm. for a lot of not only the clinicians but i think the individuals the people who want to heal i think that there's a lot that gets wrapped up in how much role does nutrition play, or doesn't it? And if I do think it plays a role, what is the right diet for me? And I think that actually, I would say, is not the easiest sell in a sense, um, but it's, in my opinion, one of the most foundational and important ones.
1: Yeah, for sure. Yep it certainly it certainly sets everything else in tone as well. It's so funny though when you have um, when you are going through like a mental health issue, and speaking from experience you know, taking myself back to that moment, nutrition was like the last thing I was thinking of, you know, I was really worried about the, all these intrusive thoughts and worried about the compulsions I was doing and stuff. And the last thing I was thinking was like, oh yeah, that's right, I ate like 79 chicken burgers last night, it's probably not the best thing, you know?
2: <laughs> right, right, yeah, I, I agree with you. And I think it's, it's not only the not intuitive thing that we go to first, um, I think that there's a lot of feelings and beliefs that get wrapped up around in terms of resistance. Mm. Um, I think eating and food is so much beyond nutritional needs that my body has and what I'm putting in. We have meaning, psychological, emotional that get wrapped up in our in our eating behaviors. Mm. I think I did a post recently about accountability. I think that there's, it's, it's much more complicated yep. and like you're saying, it isn't the first thought of thing but it's also the most consistent thing that we do have control over that I do think, like I said, has a lot of barriers to us taking the control and making the better choices for ourselves.
1: Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And so where does, uh, does breath work come into this? Because uh, I'm a little bit biased because Siobhan here is um, really excited about moving into that area. So um, I was nudged to ask that question, <laughs> but um, yeah, how does it, how does it come into your practice and, um, I guess if you could spl- explain to the listeners kind of what the benefits of breath work are, because it's um, it's very uncommon to people. It's not a, it's like it's not a household known. I guess.
2: Yeah. No. Absolutely. Not. I mean, it's the funniest thing, right? We all breathe every day to stay alive. Well, you know, I don't. We're but. Not taught to breathe. Well, yeah, yeah. well, you are special. We're we're not taught to breathe, and we don't understand. I think the power of the breath really. Um, I think naturally as a culture, even as a species, really, although there are some cultures out there that I do think value breath more so, um, but it's incredibly important because like I said, it's the bridge between our mind, our conscious mind, our thinking, our choices and our physiology, I mean, we can literally directly affect our body's physiology down to stress hormone level with the power of the choice and the engagement in breath work. Mm. Um, but I think it's hugely incredibly important. The call that I got off of right before our call today was all about breakfast, all about the reality. So we have to simplify it. We have two nervous systems in our body. One, your listeners might have heard called the fight or flight. It's the sympathetic nervous system. And then we have the parasympathetic or the rest and digest nervous system. Yep. The way they work is they're like the brake and the gas in the car, meaning when one is activated, one is deactivated. The issue has become now for humans. So our resting state as a human should be, should be. That we are in parasympathetic, we are in rest and digest all of the time until there's a very real threat. That then we shift over into fight or flight. We literally fight or run away. We save ourselves. This is obviously very generally made save ourselves. We have all the stress hormone running through us. Our muscles are primed for action. We're not digesting our food. We're doing all this good stuff to keep us alive. Yeah, and then we go back down to, to rest and digest. Right? The reality of it is. Threat has taken on a whole new level for us as humans, even though we're not on the tundra anymore, right? Emotions are threats. Environments are threats. City life is a threat. Mm. um, And our mind doesn't know the difference between what's real, the tiger in the jungle, or what we're just imagining to be real. Mm. So most of us as humans are spending well, way too much time, if not all of our time in that fight or flight nervous system, Mm. which has so many, you know, kind of difficult, uh, effects from, you know, being wired and tired, having brain fog, not being able to eat, eating too much, not being able to sleep, sleeping too much, right? It has all these negative effects. I think that we can be hyperactive, hyperreactive that we carry. So breathwork is a great tool that we should use consistently to start to reactivate that rest and digest system so that we're spending more time balanced.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And it's also, there's also a bit of Knowledge in it as well, which is there's that little bit of break between someone who's the expert and someone who isn't. Because I know coming from a CrossFit background that what a lot of people do to you know calm down from all the stresses in everyday life is go and do an intense workout, which more often than not kind of spikes the uh, the fight or flight even more because there's so many physiological stresses, as you know. Yeah,
2: absolutely. I think that that's a, a huge a huge part of it too, and and a lot of times it's been. A shift, I think, in terms of what exercise is, in terms of its benefits, what types, I should say, are beneficial. And while, yes, burst of activity and strength and hip-type models, CrossFit-type models are absolutely helpful, and they have a lot of great physiological benefits as well. But you're right. I think that we can even err on the side of being over-reliant or doing too much of that, where, again, we're chronically stressing our body in a way that if we don't build in these more balanced moments, we're going to just continue to have those scales hit.
1: Yeah, yeah. I've also, I've got a, this is an area that I've been deeply fascinated with um, over the past quarter, six to eight months. It's the um, existential, I guess, suffering, if you want to call it that, that we're kind of seeing in the 21st century. And I wanted to um, kind of open that discussion a little bit and kind of where you see a lot of people coming to you, where their suffering arises from. Is it that, that, you know, we have all these availabilities now that everything seems to be a little bit meaningless. And that's when the neuroses, you know, begin to manifest. And yeah, if you could just explain and talk a little bit about that, I'd be bloody interested.
2: (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. I'm going to actually take it a step back beyond before what we have or don't have in our external and say that in my opinion, at least most of the existential crises I see and work with Pretty much on every, within every human has some version of it. Mm. It's actually a disconnect from the self. Yeah, it, it actually starts inward, right? Which then results in it looking outward for these things, mm. which might feel meaningless. But my argument is always it's because it's really reflective of our relationship or lack of relationship or complete disconnection and or you know kind of subversion because I I know I really want to do this, but I'm doing this, and it might, again, there's a million other iterations of that from the self. Yeah, I think it originates at that deeper space again for many different reasons, many different pathways that we come by it. But I think every human, in some, some way, is disconnected from themselves and/or meeting their own needs, you know, and/or knowing what their passion is and what path that they need to be on. But, that then and does look to looking outward. And it can kind of translates to like it's too much or it's too immediate or it's not enough or it's meaningless or it's empty. But like I said, I think it really originates in, in what we feel or don't feel about ourselves first. And I think every, I think it's a shared a universality. I think that most everyone I work with has to do that deeper level self work yeah. as part of their journey. It's the longer term work, but it's 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 integral.
1: Yes, absolutely. And you actually see that in the rise too. With um, again, like we spoke about the. um you know the, the rise in the extremes because people are so far on the opposite side of things so like just the idea of crossfit i'm not having a go at it because i'm actually a crossfit coach myself <laughs> but um probably not for long after this podcast but <laughs> <laughs> but um you know you see that where people are just so stressed and or anxious and depressed on one side so they beat themselves up on this other side and you actually see that um with consciousness itself you see people heading down to peru to just really get involved with ayahuasca and you're trying to take lots and lots of psychedelics but i guess it comes from i need to get myself fixed so i'm going to take this which is actually the same as doing nothing as well because there's no work involved with that mindset Mm -hmm.
2: i think it's looking for like i said the external right thing outside Mm. while the ayahuasca and again, plant medicine, I, I don't think, I think that it can have, have some therapeutic value. For in sure. Connecting one to the cell, removing blocks and like that. But I think, again, it's still utilizing the thing outside of me right, mm. to access that. Which, again, while it could afford you a pivotal shift in consciousness, that then translates to that internal work for sure, right? But I also think it, it, it kind of uh, orbits around another concept that I see a lot of in my traditional work and in my holistic work, which is the desire, right, for it to be a a, a one problem and a one solution, you know, kind of a reductionistic, I call it, approach, right? So not only am I looking for something outside of me, but there's like a broken thing that if I take this retreat or I take this plant medicine, I go even, therapy functions of that, right? I go see this person who can give me the thing. And I think, again, I'm so much more involving my work in terms of so much more understanding the whole, the integral, the multiple parts, that there's not one thing, right? There's many interactions of things. And then therefore, what healing, health, mental wellness looks like is going to be a combination of many things, not a one thing. So I think that touches on that too, right? This idea that I'm feeling empty, so I'm going to go on this journey, one thing, do this one, you know, ayahuasca experience, and now I'm fixed. And I just don't think that that's the reality.
1: (laughs) Yeah, and look, I mean, akin to your work. I would I would even argue that it's the only way to do it because number one, as human beings, we're always going to have something that needs fixing. We're never going to be perfect. But if you can find something in life that kind of makes that almost enjoyable or worthwhile, then you kind of accept everything else that it comes from that, you know? It makes it a bit more, yeah, meaningful.
2: Mm-hmm. Mm. Yeah, I completely, I completely agree, mm. and I think that that part of it is, you know, to throw out like, resilience, right? mm. developing a resilience <clears> as a being, a physical resilience in our bodies, and emotional resilience and psychological resilience. Because you're right, right, the, the saying that I'm sure a lot of us have heard: wherever you go, there you are. Right, life happens. There's no tops in the mountain you know, yeah, you're right. That we need, we need to have the something that allows us to, to, to cope. And I think that again, for many different reasons, most of us. As an adult, are not equipped with that. Um, so part of the journey is finding that within ourselves.
1: Yeah, yeah. So what would you what would you recommend to someone that's, I guess, open to this idea of um, holistic well being and you know they want to start with themselves? Like, what's what's something that someone could do just to take that initial step?
2: Yeah, I mean, I think uh, acknowledging that you are playing a role as the hugest, you know, kind of yeah. psychological, <clears throat> mission, Love that. right? Accountability, right? Acknowledging that, you know, we're, we we played a role, whether we like to admit it or not, mm. you know, again, some of it has to do with, you know, accumulation of past experiences, you know, but again, we are actively playing a role in our daily life yeah. and therefore taking some version of an accountability. So, okay. Cause the, the flip side of that, as difficult as that is to, and I actually a post that I'll say, I, I did not like that. I did not like to have to take responsibility. I yeah. Came from a, a long line of, of external externalizers and yeah. you know, kind of blaming and things outside of myself resulted in you know my fortune or misfortune to be honest. Mm. Right. So overcoming mm. that mindset was was very hard for me. Um, but I think on the other side of that, difficult as difficult as it is, which is why I share <clears> that, it's hard, I think, to acknowledge that we're playing a role and that we need to take responsibility, even in our wellness. Again, I don't believe that there's a gene that I have or don't have that results in my physical or mental unwellness, right? Acknowledging that I control, I just was on the other side of that, I control. That's hugely empowering, obviously. Once you get over the hump of difficulty, okay, well then that means that I can now make different choices and create a different life for myself. So mm. I think that's the most, before we even talk practical steps, I think that's the most important psychological first step.
1: Yeah. And in, in some ways, it is um, it is the most practical step to, to to look at yourself in the mirror and accept responsibility for everything is, is bloody tough. Because even like you said, the fortune or the misfortune, there's a lot of things that have happened to people um, and they're not responsible for them, and they, it's just pure unluck, or someone was being extremely malevolent, or what it, whatever it is. But it's hard to accept responsibility for something like that. But when when you do, you can you can shift that mindset and and recognize that when you take on responsibility, as as rough as that sounds, it's also very liberating because now it's your life, and you can go and walk the road that you it's designed for you, or that or that you truly want to do.
2: Yeah, absolutely. And I, I mean, so to speak to your point, yes, things can happen to us that are largely out of our control, mm. but what we do with them and about them and from them is where our control lie. And I think yes. that's, that's the shift in the reframe. Cause like, I'm never going to have, you know, say that, you know, some, some terrible trauma or calamity that happened if someone was brought on by them, you know, I'm not implicating that at yeah. all, but I'm saying, okay, well that happened, mm. right. As horrible as that is. And now, what mm. and then I'd like say the point is, okay, now I can assume the responsibility for what happens next
1: yes, absolutely, yeah, so what about yourself then so what's um what's uh what's your kind of go to what's your thing that um that you really use as a tool? Some people have diary writing, some people some people do really love meditating, and that just truly works for them, and that's probably the one for me and Siobhan. but yeah, what's yours.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. I think I do a, a combination of things, but I think that the underlying biggest thing is is being consciously aware, being mm. mindful, being present. Um, I carry that with me, you know, on other days, but throughout my day. Yeah. Uh, because that's where our, that's where our choice and empowerment is, and you know, so whenever I talk about the subconscious work that I'm always going on and on about, stories being unconscious to our day is where we start to go down those negative patterns. Those negative pathways that give us the same result. So I think that's the most critical kind of thing that I'm always working to 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 hone, to develop, to strengthen. So it looks like not only I I do a meditation practice. I do one every morning. So it looks like not only carving out time, to sit with my thoughts, distance myself from my thoughts, observe my thoughts, let my thoughts go, but being mindfully present in my day too because that's helpful and that can actually, that can carry me and balance me. But what happens when I become triggered during my day? Can I step back from my thought? Can I choose a different response? Mm. And I think that's the most critical skill. So like I said, while I'm all four and every time I work with someone, I do talk about having a meditation practice, you know, that looks like sitting in a room like when we think of traditional meditation, I think the evolution at some point needs to be being mindfully present to our current environment, to our current choices. Cause that's what choice is. That's yeah. us being in that frontal lobe part of our brain that makes us human <clears throat> and not running on those old programs that again it's going to get us more of the same.
1: Yes, exactly. It's so you you're spot on. You're spot on because it's it's all well and good having a, a brilliant meditation practice where you went off and you know, went deep into the subconscious and had all this emotional healing, but how how enlightened are you when your boss is screaming in your ear, or you know when someone's late to 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 one of your appointments or something like that? That's that's the real world practical uh, application of meditation, really, isn't it? Yeah,
2: absolutely, and I always verbalize the steps for. Change or healing in our work, and one of them is awareness and yep. you know, developing, like you said, through this great meditation practice. Being able we'll to look at all of our stories, and understand them, yeah. connect them back to our past, know, <laughs> to this great future, right? But then there's then there's action. Okay, yeah. Well, now what? Right? If you're only if that's only going to be contained in that meditative world, again, while that's well and great, and we can get really good at that. You're right. What? When are we different now in the world mm. to start getting different results? And I think those are the a lot of times we become stuck along the way at different junctures, but those are the two major junctures. Yep. And again, I relate to this on a personal personal level. I've always been someone who, you know, has considered myself self-aware. Mm. You know, I, like I said, I discovered mindfulness very early. You know, I kind of like got it, but yet I was still doing all of those same negative patterns. Cause it was just so hard for me to translate that into life. And when I was triggered.
1: Yes. Yes. Yeah. And so could you go into a a bit of detail about a a time in your life that, that, you know, looking was a really tough time and that you did have a lot of lessons from?
2: Yeah, absolutely. So it, you know, originated around, so about a couple of years ago, like I said, I was marrying along, I had mindfulness in my back pocket, I was self-aware, someone who, you know, I've I've been anxious my entire life. I literally was a little kid, you know, hiding in the room, afraid of bad things happening, um, my twenties were, you know, a panic attack after panic attack. Um, so I, 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 the whole anxiety experience is what I lived. Mm. Um, and then I found mindfulness. You know, obviously I, I got myself some therapy. I was aware. I knew the patterns, the connections. But I, I, and I was getting better. It was helping. But it, it didn't help completely. Uh, I had been a uh, a health scare crisis whatever you call it um i had some pretty scary things happen i faded on a couple of occasions mm. I had crazy kind of brain blank thing that happened where i was talking i literally like could not think I and mean, i went blank in a way though like so i mean we could all relate to mine goes blank oh i figure out something today. yeah this was a feeling i never had so you know my my anxiety um, that I grew up with was very much health-based, thinking something bad was kind of simply wrong. So, of course, it sent me into a spiral of, you know, I must have some sort of brain issue now. Yeah. Um, so I really dove into, I, I mean, that's, that's a brain tumor, brain cancer. It was terrible. So wow. I dove in, and I started to really heal myself. On oh, I, I changed my diet. I changed my lifestyle. I started to heal myself. Um, and that gave me, I think, enough of a body balance that also then started to come to the surface a lot of, emotional pieces, emotional truths about my past and my childhood that, you know, I was very defended against, you know, and Mm. and stories of, you know, life being one way and I was finally able to challenge and look at in a deeper way. It was a pretty dark time for me, um, realizing that on a daily basis, the effects that some of these patterns and experiences were having on me um, and being honest about it and not doing what I always did, which is diminish it or minimize it or externalize it or, you know, pretend it wasn't happening. Um, so that was, again, not only kind of healing my physical self, but I think that gave me, like I said, foundation to then dive into the the, the the deeper emotional healing that was, that was pretty dark. Um, and like I said, a lot of it was having to be brutally honest, um, in a way that I think is not pleasant for a lot of us. Yeah.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And th- this is a conversation I was having with, um, another, another guest just recently, uh, just yesterday, actually. And, um, what, how were you able to be honest with yourself? What was your method of becoming more honest with yourself?
2: I, I mean, I, I thought of looking and feeling. So triggers are huge teachers, I'll always say. Mm. Um, so obviously daily life, relationships are a huge uh, playground for this. Yeah. Um, they trigger us emotionally. And so what I started to do was realize, and when I started, would see myself entering into that reactivity, um, you know, kind of acting out of myself in a way. It, and I think part of the difficulty is a lot of us know it's kind of like not us when we're feeling triggered or yep. doesn't feel like us. You know, we'll scream, we'll yell after the fact like, why the hell did I do that? Yeah. So like, so I have those moments where I try to then see patterns mm. um, in that. So, you know, for me, it was looking at the patterns and on a daily basis is what happens. You know, my partner would trigger me or life would trigger me or I'd get caught in this loop of the same thing. Um, and it was really using those as a jump off point to say, okay, well, well, why might this be? What might this remind me of? Or, because my belief is none of this is a coincidence. Those patterns are there for a reason, as is my reaction. Yes. So the reaction I'm having today now as an adult, right? was probably likely the reaction that I've had from every time this similar thing had happened to me in the past. Mm. But of course when I was younger, my options were much more limited. Yeah. So it's going to look like, again, generalizing one of two major categories. I'm going to do something external and outward, I'm going to scream, I'm going to yell, I'm going to touch things, right? This is like the category some of us fall in. Or it's going to look like a more inward, and this was my favorite. I'm going to shut down. I'm going to remove myself. I'm going to put up an emotional wall. Hmm. And again, this originates at a time where those were my only two options developmentally. But I grew, I changed, I matured. I can now do a million different things. But when that feeling is being touched, I literally revert back because that's the thing that helped at the time and that was my best option. So again, looking at those patterns, understanding that they are not coincidental, that they come from somewhere to hmm. that are... Touching or triggering me have some meaning, as do my reactions, understanding them. Obviously that then brought some insight into the my chaos that again I was not telling myself truths about. Yes. Then that also showed me the way forward.
1: Yeah, absolutely. What um what are some of the psychologists, psychotherapists, you know, people that have been in the field that have really um I guess inspired you and moved you into the the way you are now? Because there were there were a few kind of psychoanalytical allu, all, allusions to there, and I got really excited there. I was, one of my favorites is Carl Jung, and I'm not sure if you, you're into Carl Jung, but yeah, I was frothing all that. So, <laughs>
2: yeah, absolutely. So I I actually fun fact I did a lot. Of my program, a clinical program that I trained in um, for my doctorate, was psychodynamically based, meaning it dove into kind of all of those type of models that was our predominant. or so many different. Wait, you know, y'all CCT, DDT. So ours was kind of really talking about that model, the young model, things like that. But then I also, so we had a little flexibility in terms of choosing where we, where we practiced yeah. when we were training. So I did a lot of work
0: in Psychoanalytic Institutes. Oh, wow.
2: The droids and gums and, and the Winnicott and all of that. So I'm very heavily trenched in that. And I pull from, I I believe a lot of that to be very accurate and true and give us a lot of information in terms of you know our past experience and how it affects us today, acknowledging mm. that there's, in my opinion, a very much of a link there. So I pull from a lot of that. I still utilize a lot of that in my work. Um, but now, of course, I'm adding in kind of the evolution, while they might not be, you know, um, the psychologist, but, you know, kind of understanding the epigenetic model of science and what that, you know, affords us, understanding brain neuroplasticity, mm. you know, Dr. Joe Dispenza is a huge you know, kind of person who I, I agree a lot with in terms of stories and reprogramming. So again, not necessarily psychological was starting to, I think, pull from a lot of other avenues and mold that into kind of what, what I think treatment needs to look like now.
1: Yeah, definitely. It's so, it, it, the holistic approach, again, you know, we keep saying this and um, it's probably why it, it is your Instagram handle, but it's so accurate as well. That, and you know, the a lot of people think that, you know, sort of psychoanalytical methodology is, is rather dated and all that sort of thing, but... It makes so much sense, even from an evolutionary perspective, that when something very alarming happens to us, we, you know, our brains are going to hold on to that to try to keep us safe. That's a very, very, very—I mean, that's that's evolution one hundred and one. You know, it makes perfect sense. Um, And I think I think it's good to have that that foundation. You know, of like you said, CBT and positive psychology, and even like an awareness psychology. Those all of this stuff can help you know, if it's a 1%, you know, 1%, 1%, that it helps so much more than, um, than just, this is the only way. So, oh, cool. You're, you're anxious. It's only your diet, you know?
2: Mm-hmm. I totally, I totally agree. And I think it, it needs to, and again, part of my intention with all of this is twofold. One is obviously to put people with the knowledge, you know, that they can use to heal themselves. It's like, truly believe that it's possible of every human being. Mm. Um, but second is in terms to a, a hopefully evolve the field, right? Because again, I think the field is, 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 it's not where it needs to be and it's not putting out practitioners equipped with the information to really help. And I think one of the, the pivot points, again, having my own health crisis at the same time, I already, I accumulated enough hours, years with a lot of the clients and patients I was working with that I was feeling a lot of their stuffness. That we both, mm. you know, me as human, them as human, and clinically together, got to a certain point and then could not get past that point. Yeah. Because we were operating too much with that old model. So, again, I think in terms of a feel overall, there needs to be an evolution because I think that we're not equipping equipping our practitioners with what they need to evolve people past these certain points that i think these more traditional models um stop
1: at. yes absolutely even even the very simple idea with a patient coming to a gp for example and this is by no means an attack on gps but you know saying they have depression and then being oh it's a chemical imbalance in your brain for example there's something so um what The opposite of empowering, you know, disempowering with, with that idea. It's like, oh, shit, so there's nothing I can do about it. I'll have to take this for the rest of my life. Great. Even that thought alone with anything in life, not even just, you know, something on the brain, makes it very, very difficult to contend with.
2: Absolutely. it's, it's You said the right word, the word I tell them, and it's very disempowering. But it's based in, I think, a lot of internal beliefs mm. too and myself included I was medicated for my anxiety you know I told myself that I just had that chip my mom still had anxiety you know that's where I got it from yeah that would fix this chip is the medication you know that I was on I had a lot of similar limiting beliefs in terms of my body my body looked like this because this is my genes my body could not look like this body yeah so I could not develop muscles there or you know I always was going to have this there because that's just what I was dealt with and mm. I think it is very hugely future- and again of no fault of their own because medical doctors as well, GPs are not trained in this more holistic model. This is just a global thing you know that, that is not equipping any of us, I think, with the reality of it. Definitely. Um, and you're right. It means then that there's one problem with one solution and I have no other choices. But I believe actually the complete opposite at this point.
1: Yeah, for sure. Yeah. So you were saying before how, um, we didn't actually touch on this, but with the movement that you are creating, where would you like to see this go? Like, what's your, I'm sure you have a vision. Um, you spoke about Joe Dispenza before, I'm sure you do. What's, um, yeah, where can you see this going?
2: Yeah, absolutely, it's, it's interesting. Someone asked me the other day, you know, something along the lines of, you know, what, what is the one thing I would want in terms of, you know, to see happen? You know, honestly, it's, it's empowering people. in mm. that exactness. Just Having lived it myself, you know, how credible it is to truly sit here and believe in my soul of souls that I'm capable, you know, of, of pretty much creating the life that I want from mm. the physical health that I want to the emotional wellness that I want. So what I would love to see is just this to continue to be a message that gets out there globally and that if it just continues to touch people, you know, that are ready for it that and to shift them out of whatever limiting belief or mindset that they have and to give them control and power and choice, I think that is that that would be you know that would be everything to me.
1: Yeah, yeah, it it, it bloody would be because it's it's about time that people start to take power for themselves.
0: Be mm-hmm. great. And like
2: I said, I think that I think that the just the growth that the account has had in such a short period of time is really indicative of people being ready. And mm. there's a lot of people out there that are ready to hear this, or, or, or if they're not ready, are able to hear it, and then, you know, I, I get messages every day with the changes that they're making, and, you know, the, the changes that they're therefore seeing in their life, and that is just so beyond motivating to me that, you know, that that's what keeps me going, and that's what keeps me motivated, and like I said, if I can just keep getting that message out there for the people that are open to it, I think that's that's amazing.
1: Yeah, mm. uh, one of my, maybe, maybe, one of my favorite authors was um, a mythologist called uh, Joseph Campbell, and he was influenced heavily by Carl Jung, actually, as well. And he wrote that the difference between a celebrity and a hero is that a celebrity does everything for himself, but a hero does everything to bring other people up, you know, and create a movement. And um, it's very similar to what you're doing, which is awesome, Nicole. Thanks so much for coming on the show. That was awesome. Well, you just completely
2: humble and you've literally made my day. Thank you so much for that. Listen, I, I want to thank you too because you are, you know, people like you having me, you know, talking to me, helping me spread this. You know, this get again just gets across the ears of someone else. That, of course. You know, I wouldn't have come across my message before that I, I mean, you guys are the reason why this is, this is traveling. So I thank you.
1: Yeah, ab- absolutely. No, I love it. We're, um, we could keep going on and on about how much we're, who, who, who thanks each other more.
2: <laughs> yeah, right,
1: That's right. great. I love it. Yes, exactly. Yeah. Hey, um, where can people hit you up? And now, now's the time to go for a plug. So go for it.
2: Yeah, absolutely. So the best place, the hub that I'm literally at daily, and again, like you could, like I said earlier, you can watch me do some of these things, listen to me tell you how hard it is, but I'm still doing it. <laughs> and at Instagram, the dot um, check me out there. I try to be really responsive in the comments messages. I have a great, amazing supportive community, a lot of individuals who are going through similar struggles, similar journeys, all willing to share and be open. So the dot holistic dot psychologist. Um, I also have a website, which typically is a link in my bio, at yourholisticpsychologist.com. Although what might be in my bio now is my new um, YouTube as well. But Instagram is where I announce everything, so come find me there.
1: Beautiful. Awesome. Well, thanks again, and um, that's a wrap.